0: Hey guys, for those of you that haven't joined us before, I'm John Harris, I'm a professional drummer and
1: educator and best friends with me, Ben Jones. I am a professional bassist and educator and over the last 15 years we've been working, laughing and living together, navigating the ups and downs of teaching in higher education and having a jolly old time in the UK music industry. (laughs)
0: This podcast is our way to open the doors of our friendship and professional lives to discuss all things music and life. Welcome to our podcast, Beats and Best Friends.
1: Hello, mate. Hello, mate. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Very good, thank you. Yeah, and uh, can you believe it? It's episode six.
0: Crazy, crazy. I
1: know. Amazing. And uh, I've, I've fully recovered after last week's episode on mental health. Indeed. Indeed. And I, do you know what, I was thinking about it and I was thinking that I was so, so grateful for doing that. It was a really tough episode and I, when I listened back I was like, ooh, should I keep that in or not? And I thought, no, the reason why we said we were going to do that is to help people who might have felt the same or who could feel the same in the future. And I, I was just really grateful for last week. So thank you for being an average friend. <laughs> You're so welcome. <laughs> How's your yeah. week been? I was like, just to kind of reiterate what you
0: said there, I, I did have a few moments this week, and I was like, "Shall we? Shall we put this out?" Yeah. Because there's a lot of sensitive topics in there, and you know, it's it's always worrying, isn't it? I suppose and I got I, maybe I got a little bit nervous this week about putting it out, but I think it's it it's it needs to go out, and we've done it now, and I think a lot of people can relate to it, and I feel. A lot of our students are probably, you know, going through some stuff as well, and maybe they can relate to some things we've talked about and, and also other musicians. So I think we're, yeah, we're good to go. For sure. I'm feeling good about it. Yeah, me too. Um,
1: yeah, it was it was really worth doing. So how yeah, how's your week been? Good. I I'm teaching a lot at the moment. Yeah, you are. You're very yeah. busy, are you? But I'm I'm really
0: loving it. And like I said to you before, I'm I'm liking having the weekends at the moment. But I've got quite a few gigs coming up, which I'm actually really looking forward to getting back into. I do, although I love teaching, I like the combination of both. And I am starting to miss the live gigs a little bit, you know, being on the stage and the whole kind of, you know, everything about the gigs. And I'm looking forward to getting back to it.
1: Yeah, it's I think it makes you, um, what's the word, grateful for both. So when you don't teach for a while and you go back in, you're like, oh, it's lovely working with, you know, young people or just young career people who haven't got those skills yet and I can help them with that but then if you're not gigging you don't get those times where you walk in and go oh actually it's really nice just to walk in and everyone's at the same level and you know you can get on with things really really fast and and stuff so I definitely agree it's 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 nice to have the balance so when did the gigs start picking up for you? Tomorrow. Oh, great. (laughs) Really (laughs) really quickly.
0: Oh, amazing. Yeah. So I've got not as in not sort of picking up, but I've got a couple this month. Next month gets a little busier, and basically then it starts getting busier and busier. And I'm starting to kind of see, you know, the sort of last minute calls and stuff come in where people are like, you know, I need someone for a gig. Yeah. I've got a couple of tours this summer, which will be cool. And just a few bits of the diary starting to, as it, Usually does, which is really nice. Yeah. Around this sort of time, it's you know you start filling those gaps.
1: That's awesome. It's weird, isn't it? Because what we're in the beginning of Feb. Once you hit March and April, really summer is just round the corner, and then yeah. you're in the summer. It it is a bit. I don't know how you feel about this, but I am definitely noticing this more as I get older. How quickly time goes. Yes. Like years, years can just seem. I mean, I think COVID made the whole thing a bit stranger because those two years. <laughs> What were they? It was almost like a black hole of memory. But, you know, I was thinking, oh, you know, December, Christmas, that was only a few months ago. But now, we're like, oh, February, and then it'll be March and April, and then suddenly you're in summer again. And its I think it's important to take some time and stop and go, hang on a minute, appreciate it, this is all good. But it does get a lot quicker as you get older. But, you know, there are good things as well, for sure. Definitely. I think it's
0: when when your friends start having kids. So, um some of mine and uh, mine and Claire's friends, I've got two kids, yeah, and they're now you know like sort of getting older, and it's happening so quickly. And you, yeah. you see a picture of them from a couple of years ago,
1: and you're like, oh my god, that was like two years ago. Yeah,
0: it's, got, it's starting to go really quickly. They're getting like you know growing up far too fast,
1: and like one to three. Let's mm. say you saw them at one, but then you see them again at three, just different. It's like a different human. So those years are crazy as well. Yeah, it's it's a funny old world. It's a funny old world, but um. We're very very happy to be in it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm feeling I'm feeling good. I'm feeling these sessions every week doing the podcast make me so happy. Definitely. Feeling good about this year. Really excited to launch behind the beat. We've just recorded. Our, well, we're just about to record our intro music to yeah. the, the to the podcast. To the podcast,
1: the music. So you will have heard at the start of this podcast because obviously we've released it later than we did it. Um, we have just recorded the intro music and it, we we were. Well, we were pretty much over the moon, to be honest. We loved it. It
0: worked out really well. It's really, it's, it's interesting doing these because we haven't yet recorded the intro <laughs> music that's going to go at the beginning of this because we're recording 10 episodes. So for those of you that are listening, we're our plan was to record 10 episodes of the podcast and then mix them and get them all ready. And then basically what's going to happen is we're going to release one a week. Yeah. And it's weird to kind of look into the future with stuff that we yeah. haven't done yet. Um, but I'm I'm really looking confort- the the intro music. So, what we've done is we we set the the tempo at 105 BPM, and it's so weird because we've realised that the intro is almost exactly 16 bars, and we completely freestyled that yeah. speech for the intro.
1: Yeah, we we wrote out uh, like a, a bit of a script, and then we just spoke it. And I was saying to John like. It's so strange. Maybe being a musician, talking, mm. maybe you've got this internal clock going on. Because when we finished that, it did feel very natural. And then we looked on the grid today, it was nearly 16 bars, which is like crazy. That's crazy. so crazy. But yeah, but so hopefully you're enjoying it. Um, great musicians on it. So thank In- you very much to them.
0: Indeed. And that is a beautiful segue... Into what we're going to be doing today,
1: it's like we plan this. It's like we plan it. Yeah. So today is all about learning songs or learning anything. Music in in general it doesn't have to be songs. It could be anything at all. And as you know, John and I are you know educators as much as we are professional musicians. We sit there in the middle of the professional sort of dial, I suppose. And um, learning is something that we think about and talk about and work on all the time. Our own learning, our students' learning, they're always on our minds. So this episode is going to be really interesting to talk about how we approach it. We're really interested to see the comments and see what how other people approach learning because it is the most unique thing, I think, other than things like your voice and fingerprints and stuff like that. How you approach learning something is your thing. And I think one of the things I've noticed in, in working in the world is that that is changing. The way that people are, are being able to be understood of how they learn is changing. I was speaking to a colleague and we were talking about um, a friend of hers whose son has got autism. And it's quite young and, and has been diagnosed. And they were saying that they're also seeing their own selves in that thinking you know oh maybe I'm autistic you know and Mm. because when we were growing up I don't know about you but I certainly felt this there were quote-unquote troublemaking students the ones that weren't focused the ones that were quote-unquote lazy and looking at it now with the eyes of education that I have I can so clearly see that those students had learning needs they were dyslexic or they they had autism and they didn't get any support because it just wasn't there mm. at the time. They just thought, oh, you don't learn the way this person does, therefore you don't fit the system. And that is terrible when you think about it. There must be countless people in their 40s, 50s, 60s who might still think, I find it hard to read. I find it hard to focus on things. Mm. I find it hard to have conversations with people and stare into their eyes, whatever it may be. And everyone has, the world has said when they were younger, just get over it. Just, just get on with it. Like, what what do you mean you're struggling to see the text? Get some glasses. And now of course we've got neurodiversity is obviously on the top of everyone's mind in the education world. And I think that's great because at least those people are getting the help early rather than being left behind where a lot of people were, Certainly our generation and most definitely the generations above us. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I agree. So learning is a big thing. It's a big thing. So can I ask you a question? Of course you can. So just
0: to start this off. Yeah. I'm really interested about this as well because mm. I learn songs as a musician, first and foremost, but primarily a drummer. Right, right. And you learn songs usually as a bass player. Yes. So I'm intrigued to see if there's, well, it's going to be a lot of similarities, but also a lot of differences. So let me put you in a musical context. Do it. I Let's say we're doing a studio session tonight. Yep. Mm-hmm. So you've got very little prep mm-hmm. and we're going to do one track in the studio. And it's not nothing crazy. Let's say like a singer-songwriter, maybe sort of like R&B sort of type vibes. And you need to learn that song as quick as possible. Mm-hmm. And you've got, you know, you've got the track so you can hear what maybe the guide, you know, the guide base is doing on there. The producer's roughly giving you an idea of what they want. Yeah. Where would you start? What would be your process?
1: So I think one of the most important things with this is to highlight my weakest area in my practice, which is my ear. My ear mm. has always been my weakest area. Um, It was the thing that potentially was going to stop me from getting on the degree because it was what we used to call oral and transcribing was a test, basically intervals and then a melody. And you had to, you know, get them by ear and then write them down. Um, And I've always struggled with it. I find it really hard. Um, So the idea of being given a track and having to just listen to it and learn it is definitely not my first choice. So what I've done to sort of compensate for that is I am a, I would say a very good reader. So okay. I can read and I'm very good at building my own charts and using Sibelius and notation software. So what I would probably do is, let's say a semi-decent amount of time, let's say I had half a day So let's say, you know, you gave it to me at lunchtime and we were recording at six. I would go in and I would, first of all, listen to the track maybe, let's say three times. And on each time, I would just write down what I'm hearing. So structure, obviously really important because that's one of the most annoying things when you get wrong, is just not knowing that sections are coming up. Um, I would find the key. So I've got some harmonic reference, because obviously that's really important for my ideas. Um, Even if I'm copying another bass line, I still want to obviously know the key and know where it could be coming from. And then I would also look for specific things on the track or the demo that are ear-catching, that sound like they have been put there for a specific reason. Fills, uh, articulation, slides, things like that. Tone, what it sounds like on the guide track. So once I've kind of got my mind around that, So, what's that? Let's say three and a half minutes. We're like, just over 10 minutes listening to it. I'd get into the nitty gritty. So, what I tend to do is I have a headphone amp, or if I haven't got my interface with me, I'll have my headphone amp and I just pop it in one ear in and I put the track in the other ear and I listen to it and start working out where the, the bass movement is. My ear is not good enough to pick out chords out of nowhere. Once I have the bass notes, my theory is good enough to start filling in the gap. So I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh, that's an A chord. That's an A bass note. And then I can think, oh, within the key, let's say we're in the key of G, then, oh, I know A is the two, A minor, and then I can start to sort of find them. But I treat it like, um, what's what's that game? Cluedo. You know, when you have to guess who the murderer is. I'm like, oh, well, (laughs) let's do a process of elimination. What isn't it? what isn't this chord? Is it sort of what we'd say diatonic? Is it within the key? So I start sort of going through an elimination process. And this could happen, I'm talking, you know, 10, 15 seconds, just playing notes around over the track. Once I've established that, I will then go, right, let's get into the nitty gritty of it. Let's listen to the rhythms. Let's start picking out some of this bass line. And let's be honest, most bass lines are usually quite repetitive. Once you've got the kind of framework of it, you're the doorway of the track, you're already inside it. So then I go through the detail. So I would say that's my process. Once it is um, to the point where I could play it through, I would say 80% comfortably, I will then go to Sibelius and notate the whole thing out because I can do that very quickly because I have a bit of a trouble with memory. Mm. And what I'll do is I'll go in and I'll be, I can play it and then I'll go off and I'll get on the train to the studio mm. and it's gone. And I'm like, but if I can open up my iPad and there it is on a chart, great. It's back in my mind. So that that's my main things because I would love, I, I mean, if I could if I could change one thing about myself as a, a professional skill set, it would be improving my ear. And I know you can do it and everyone's going, well, oh, just improve your ear, come on. I, I know, I know, I know. But you got to pick your battles when you have the time of, we have, and you mm-hmm. have to. You can't do everything, so I worked on reading a while ago and charting, and that's my that's my skill. I would love to get better at my ear. It is getting better, and the only reason it's getting better is because I started to learn keyboards. Yes, you've been playing a lot of keys it's recently. Been playing a lot of keys recently, and obviously as a bassist, reading bass clef exclusively, really my whole life, reading treble clef has been really interesting, but it's helped immensely. So yeah, that in a nutshell would be my process. Nice. What about you?
0: So there's a lot of similarities there, mm. but I so I'm different in a few ways. I've got quite. I like to see things visually. So me too. Yeah, that's where the charting comes in. There we go.
1: Almost like a. Um, I don't know about you, but I get this. So when I've got a chart, especially when I've written it, cause it's kind of my thing. When I play, it's almost like a banner is moving in my head of the chart, and I see the notes coming up. Do me you too. get that? Me too. Huh?
0: But also we should be friends. (laughs) We should be friends. (laughs) But so that's I, I like to kind of for the structure, I like to write it out. I like to see a visual representation of the song, because then what I kind of do is then I can start creating parts based on the different sections. So, for example, let's say verse eight bars, chorus, 16 bars, because I can see it in front of me. I'm like, right. I can almost start feeling what it, it's going to feel like. I know exactly so what you mean. So I've got like eight bars for the verse. I'm like, right, okay, I can write a part to that in a minute. I know that the chorus is going to be double the length of the verse. So I'm like, okay, I can see this almost this journey through the track and I can start creating parts depending on that journey. If I've got the time, I do like to fully transcribe my, my grooves. Yep. But also my ear is probably one of my strongest things. Great. So it's a little bit different. And I... I actually, I'm good at listening to drum grooves yep. and sort of memorising them, but I'm actually all, like, really good at the sort of the harmony and sort of ah. singing a lot of the sort of harmony in the yes, song. Yes, you are. That's a very so good point. So r- some really weird, for fasci- I don't know why, but I think maybe because of the lo- the backing vocals that I do, but I, for most solos yeah. in songs, I could probably sing them back to you note for note. Yeah. So like some of the John Mayer solos, I I just, I know them. I don't know why it sticks, but it does. So when I'm going through, I do base a lot of the sections on the harmony and and some of the melody in the song. So I'll go through, structure it out, and then I'll kind of work on some of the grooves and basically get the sort of the bare bones. So where the backbeat's going to be, where the kick drum's going to sit with maybe the bass. Um, Then I'll maybe start working on how I can adapt those sections so for example is there going to be a lift in the groove when it goes to the yeah. chorus mm-hmm. what am I going to do for the bridge etc etc and then the last kind of little bits is maybe deciding you know wh- what sort of drums I'm going to bring to the session yeah the fills that I might do whether I'm going to do shakers and percussion overdubs yeah. so it's like the like you say the nitty-gritty but mine is if I've got the time Definitely write down the structure so I've got it there. And then, you know, if there's any like hits or anything, just notate those. And then it's the groove process. And then it's for me, it's it's learning the rest of the track if I've got the time, like learning the what the bass is doing, trying to sing the guitar, trying to sing the vocal melody, and almost
1: learn some of the vocals so I've got those cues. That is so interesting, and yeah, I you've just reminded me of so many things. But the thing you just said there about learning uh bass things, vocal things, this is I suppose this is still learning, it's, it's a little bit more like writing your own parts. But I used to think that you know, bass fills I'll come up with a great bass fill, and it's like that's my job, I'll do that. You can have a whole thing about fills against groove, maybe that's a future episode. Um, but what I really learned a few years ago and and really started to turn heads with people and the way that I approach their music was, well, what's already there? So rather than doing a fill that goes against things, mm. what's already there? And And one thing I really listen out for is drum fills, because when you... Again, if you're getting a demo, and again, you know, there's varying degrees of demos. You know, some people just bosh a Logic drummer down and say, well, that's the pocket. Like, you play it how you want. And some people go through and program it properly. So when you hear things and you think, well, someone's put the time to do that fill. Is there something that I can do to, you know, work with that, to enhance it, to to be a part of it? But the one that really sort of changed the game for me was vocals. Listening to vocal lines and almost as a, like a secondary BV part, putting bass fills in that quoted or referenced the vocal melody. Mm. So then when a listener listens to it, they're like, oh, that was really good. It's like, well, yeah, because you just heard it in the chorus and I yeah. just stole it. <laughs> but it is, it's, it's that mind games thing. And I remember when I was studying, I remember the track really clearly. It was um, Take Your Mama Out by the Scissor Sisters. Mm -hmm. Great track, really cool groove, really cool song. And that song was really, really famous, wasn't it? It did very, very well, and they were very big at that time. And we used to get these, we used to get given the charts to learn them, but then on the page before, you'd get like a little blurb about the song, right? And I used to love that. I used to find that so interesting, the little blurb they used to give us. And they said, oh, this song, very, very popular, whatever year it was. And they said, oh, there's more than a hint of... Saturday Night's Alright for Fighting, which is an Elton John song here. And I was like, oh my God. It is basically that song. And then that opened this door of thinking, when you hear things that are... When things get very popular, there's usually a hint of something familiar there. And I think when we start to learn songs, one thing that I've really picked up on is there's so much repetition. In a good way. You know, you listen to things and you go, ah... I've played that before. Not in this tempo, not in this key, and not with that feel. But I've felt something like this before. And it's that kind of learning that almost becomes like experiential. Like you've gone to that city before, but you haven't. But you think, I'm sure there's probably a bank over there. Or I think the post office is this way. And you've never been there before, but you've been in enough cities to go this kind of feels like
0: something I recognise. Do you know what I mean? Mm, Definitely. I think as well, so we were doing this interesting exercise with um, some of my drummers today and talking about sort of ideas. We were learning this song, basically the question I just asked you. So they've got a session tonight. They haven't got very, uh, very much time to learn it. They've got to kind of pick out some ideas quick. And the thing that some of them kind of struggled with was picking an idea. And yeah. sticking to it. Oh my god! Yeah. There were so many ideas that came out, and when they settled on, you know, something that was, rep, you know, repetitive, yeah. and an idea and a theme, it worked. But when it kept changing, it's almost like you're distracting
1: the listener's ear. Totally. Do you know what I mean? Totally. And you've just opened like the biggest can of worms, which is <laughs> why is it so hard to put an idea down? Mm. Well, I think for our younger students and our younger career students it's, well, that's you. You're making a statement about what you think this music should be. And I think there's a lot of fear around that. Yeah. Like, But what if it isn't good enough? What if it isn't perfect? Um, spoiler alert, it will never be perfect. And it shouldn't be perfect. And I think we're going to talk about this later on in the episode, but there is this thing about you've got to put something down to start. How are you going to grow... This groove, how are you going to grow this arrangement if you don't just put that first thing down? Like you said, let's just hear a kick and snare pattern. Is it a a backbeat? Okay, well, let's work with that. But it it is tricky, isn't it? Because I know for a fact that when I learn stuff, I'll just start playing. I'm not afraid, like, oh, that was horrible. Okay, whatever. But I need to to get into the... I need to get some stuff happening because time's ticking. Time's ticking.
0: You know? It's funny, isn't it? When I... If I do... Instagram videos or if I'm recording for I, I don't know for a session or for an artist that they send stuff over to me I mean you you do not want to hear <laughs> my first couple of takes exactly because they're awful because I'm figuring stuff out but I'm playing yeah I'm trying to figure out ideas usually if I get sent a track over I'll basically I'll, I'll do what I just said and kind of you know roughly write out the structure so I've got some idea and then I will literally just play the track on loop and record it, and then listen back and go, oh, that actually worked really well, or that definitely doesn't work, let's take that out, yeah. make a few notes, You know, go back to the drawing board, and then basically pick up the best ideas and then put them together, and then you've got yourself a track. But if you never try, you're never going
1: to know. And this is the thing about craft. We talk about this a lot on the programme, and I'm, I'm working with my students on this all the time. In order to improve... You have to fail. It is the only thing that is guaranteed to be needed to improve is failure. You cannot improve if you're not ready to fail. It's as simple as that. I got a question based on what you said because it made me think of something. What do you find harder to commit to saying that's the take? Your own compositions on Instagram when you're doing your own arrangements or someone else's track. Oh, I know. Quite happy with that one. And the kicker,
0: why? Yeah. So, I think for the Instagram stuff. Yeah. I treat my Instagram page as a website, yeah. really, because I don't have a website anymore. I got rid of that, and it is a, a you know, a visual and an audio representation of my playing. So when people go on there, I want them to be like, he knows what he's doing, right? So I want the content to be really good. However, I'm probably more conscious about someone else's music because it's not mine. yeah. And they've chosen me to play on it. And I want them to be really impressed. And also, I feel like I'm, you know, I've got a, a lot of kind of you know responsibility in my hands because i'm playing on someone else's record you know someone else's baby yeah so i'd say probably more on someone else's stuff
1: that's really cool can you think about a time where you've really struggled to make and say okay this is what we're going to play or i'm going to play can you think of like any tracks that really stumped you or any artists where you thought i'm just i can't find what i'm happy with
0: yeah there's there was one session I did years ago and the track was so ambiguous ah. and so free, I just I, I literally I I think I stood there for about an hour and just didn't do anything. And I was like, I don't know what to do. It's so there's so much space and the sections were not very obvious mm. and I just it really got me. And in the end, I just had to do what we just said, just yeah. start playing. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh my god, that definitely doesn't work." And it took me ages. And in the end, they were really happy, but it was not an obvious choice, and it was re- probably one of the most difficult takes I've ever done.
1: Have you listened? When's the last time you listened to it? A couple of years ago. Did anything change when you listened to it again? Did you were you like proud of it? Did you think, "Oh, actually, that's something that I would never have played," and I'm kind of like it now? Or yeah, I
0: think so. We did a lot of percussion overdubs as well, oh, cool. which filled in the space. That really helped. It was like. I, is this going to work with just drums? And I think the answer was probably no. So we did a lot of percussion over the top, and it it, it really worked. I'm still quite happy with it now. I have I have to get you track See, if if I find it, I'll put it in the um, I'll put a link. I put it in the show notes
1: yeah, or something. That'd be wicked, man. I'm sure people would love to hear that. What about you? Um. Oh yeah, loads. It's really hard because bass is a funny instrument, right? Mm. Because if I change the bass note, it changes all the harmony. That's the truth. The bass, if if I'm the lowest sounding instrument in the ensemble, and most often than not, it's bass. You could have left-hand keys, but usually we sit just below that. So I can make or break other people's ideas as well. And this is why when you have a clangor of a bass note, it feels like the world is ending, because not only is the bass playing the wrong note, but it now makes all of the other harmony on top off of it totally wrong which is why it's hilarious when it happens um but yeah so that's a big thing for me so i have this massive conundrum and i'm still going over it in my head it's definitely getting better with age playing for the song balancing playing for your ego balancing (laughs) yeah wanting to do something bold wanting to be yourself and I mean, I'm so grateful that I got into working with songwriters because it gave me a whole new appreciation for for writing parts. And I think it's moving away from bass as well has also really helped this. But sometimes you hear, let's say, a classic kind of thing, an acoustic guitar demo. I'm going to put the bass line on. Do you get stuck in the strumming pattern and then start wanting to sort of like make it, you know, that energy... Do you go the other side and say, well, if they're going, should I just go, <laughs> yeah. and, yeah. and, and things like that? And it's like, you start to have these moments where, as a bassist, everything you do affects everybody. So it's like, it's like. Um, was it the butterfly effect when you go back in time and if you like move a tree like you know hitler's still alive or something (laughs) it's those sort of things so you're like oh my god like gotta be careful about what you do so that thought of like okay well this is this is a statement but what i have definitely learned more more often now recently is that if i put myself in the mindset of the track which is why i always ask for the lyrics Whenever I work yeah, nice. with someone for a song, I want to read their lyrics. Because what their words are saying is going to change the way I approach what I play. And again, working with songwriters has made that happen because, you know, lyrics are that's what they wanted to say. This is this is the character of the song. And sometimes I've read lyrics and I've gone, Oh, okay. No, I won't put a fill there. That's that's really inappropriate. And actually, how can I get out of the way of this and actually just enhance what's there maybe what the bass needs is just nothing I mean one of the best things I ever got told in a studio was you've just played exactly what was right for the track and I didn't play anything yeah nice and I was like Job oh done. okay and I was like okay that really really helps and I remember a quote from um, Donald Duck Dunn very famous bass player from the Stax period and lots of other things, Blues Brothers and stuff like that. Amazing player, very famous basslines. I mean, the one that everyone will know would be um, sitting on the dock of the bay. Yeah, one of, of his famous ones. And he said, whenever I went into the studio, I would play, and then I would go sit in the control room with whoever it was, and he'd say to himself, "Right, I will play fifty percent less, and then that track will be ready." And you just think. And that's why you had the career you did. Because you were able to get your ego out of the way and you were able to just deliver. And at at the same time as delivering, uh, you know, deliver some iconic bass lines as well. Which, let's face it, are so simple. (laughs) Boom, 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 boom. You just hear that and you're like... (laughs) You're there! (laughs) And you think he could have gone busier, he could have gone more notes, but instead he was like, no, that's... That's what's needed. So I really struggle with that. And but I love the struggle. I love that feeling of when you get one idea and you're like, oh, that was good. Oh, oh, okay. There we go. We're in. And then of course it gets into that kind of really exciting time where you start trying stuff. But yeah, I really struggle. It's usually with songwriting stuff. Interesting. Yeah.
0: Um, so I wanna move on to kind of the the next thing that we've got written down yeah. here, which is the challenges and yeah. I'd like to start off so myself and Ben teach uh, a class at ICMP called LPW and it's live performance workshop yep and basically all the instruments each uh, instrument specific get the same track and then they come together once a week and they play that track together and it was really interesting we we did a we did um, what was the song called this week Randy Crawford you might need somebody, you might need somebody. One, of, one of the Best songs ever. Jeff Beccaro on drums. Just yeah. ridiculous. Amazing. track. And I think what some of the students really struggled with, and they, you know, they voiced this to me, was that they've learnt their own part. Yeah. But then haven't maybe had the time or taken the time to listen to some of the other parts, and a lot of them got up and played, but then was like, "Oh, it's it's really different to playing to, along to the track." And <laughs> but it is because Certainly. there's you know we didn't have a horn section. There's nope. you know it's it's stripped back a little bit, and I feel like when you're learning a song, if you have the time, it's really good to learn your part, but then try and learn the other parts as well. So one, you've got some indication of what's going on around you. But two, you've got sort of a, a bit of a reference there as well, right? Yeah. And I feel sometimes maybe with sort of younger students or maybe you know people that haven't had as much experience as professional musicians, is they learn their part and then that's like right, it's done. Yeah. And then when they get onto a gig and all they know is their part, they come into a little bit of trouble yeah. because they're they're almost a little bit lost. Because totally. when you start playing, if, is it, all you know is your part, and you just know roughly know the song. Sometimes the structures maybe not what you thought it was, and if
1: you haven't got an indication of what it, you know is going on around you, it can be really tricky. Totally. Insert Star Wars quote here. Good against remote is one thing. Good against the living is something else. Oh, Han Solo. Han um, It's true, It's so true, though. It is. It is that thing where you. It's theory against practice, isn't it? It's that classic age-old thing. And I think you're so right about that. And again, this has definitely come with age and experience and discipline because you do, you grow older and, and wiser within your craft. But I think learning a song, 60%, I'm going to go with 60, I think it could even be less, is your part. Yeah. Let's say the bare minimum of learning a song is your part because you have to be able to deliver your part of course you do but if you know a song you know it you know everyone's part i mean maybe not everyone's part but you know enough of the other instruments to be able to go oh the vocalist is singing verse two but we're in verse three exactly so maybe we should not be on that like yeah. but of course but I've learned the part. I'm playing the part. And it's like, yeah, but you're playing the wrong part now. And music isn't always existing on this grid of, like, it's the way we prepped it. Some of the most amazing things you'll ever play as a musician are totally off the cuff yeah. and come from mistakes and moments where you go, oh, that was quite cool. I like going to that section there early. And I think with the students, you're absolutely right. It is this kind of, well, I've learned my part. And it's like, yes, yes. You have, and well done. And it sounds great. Sounds amazing, yeah. But you sound like, let's say, four. Four people who have just happened to walk on stage and play the same song at the same time. You are not playing as a band. You're not listening to each other. Your part is great, but if you tweaked it ever so slightly, you would make your bass player sound better. And then if you guys did that, your vocalist would be better supported. But I suppose it's a skill set, right? You learn learning your
0: own part is challenging enough sometimes. Well, mate, and also you hit the nail on the head there. It's like when you get into a live situation, when if you've just learned your part, let's say the MD turns around and goes, "We're going to do an extended outro," exactly, and you don't know, and all you know is the track you've learned, you know, on Spotify, or whatever. If you don't have a, a knowledge of, you know, how maybe how long the chord progression is, or how long that section is, and what the other instruments are doing, let's say the MD goes, "Right, we're going to do." The end stabs are going to be with the lead vocal, and you're like, <laughs> "What's what's the lead vocal?" <laughs> yeah. you know. And I'm, what I'm what we're not saying here, you know, I I don't know how to play bass, I don't know how to play keys, I don't know how to play, how to play uh, guitar. I you know I can sing a little bit, but I still have an idea of
1: what the bass is doing. Like I could probably yeah. sing you the bass line. And there's the difference. You, you don't you need to play those instruments. No. You don't need to go. Okay, we'll play that drum fill then. <laughs> mr guitarist or whatever no you don't need that but what you do need to be able to have is an awareness of what's going on you know classic thing like you know we'll use you might need somebody this week there are so many hooks counter melodies even in the first eight bars there's so much stuff and let's say as a drummer you focus on the picaro shuffle because let's face it it is the beating heart of that song but what about lucifer's guitar line? Mm -hmm. what about the keys little movements in the background they will make you a better player, even if you could go, I don't know, weep, 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 you know, over the top of your drum part when that you're singing beautiful. it. Thank you. I'm available for awful guitar renditions sung by a, <laughs> a, a so crazy beautiful. person. But if you let's say you're playing along, you got the shuffle together, and you're really cooking on the shuffle, what if you could sing the guitar line over the top? What if your appreciation of the part was so deep now? You could sing that on top. You're just getting further and further into not only yeah. the track, but look at how much your craft would develop as a drummer to be able to just put the pacara shuffle on autopilot and start singing guitar lines and harmonies. I mean, do you remember when you started to sing BVs and how quickly that developed for you? Like you were like, oh, I don't know. Then you did it, and you're like, oh, that was alright. Yeah. And now you love it. Yeah. And then there's not many drummers who who sing and do BVs. Not many, it's, not enough.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's given me a greater appreciation for the song because I need to think about where the vocals sit in relation to what I'm doing on drums. And I, I almost, the drums are on autopilot now and I'm concentrating on what I'm doing vocally. Yeah. And I can also appreciate then what the lead singer is doing because I'm trying to blend with the lead singer. And it just, it, it helps me to feel more invested in the song, I think. And it's 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 tricky and it took me a while, especially coordination side and kind of yeah. you know getting that down. But I I love it I
1: absolutely love it now. What's the because when I learned bass I was you know obviously I said on a previous episode that I sang before I played bass. I actually learned bass and I suppose singing at the same time so I didn't find it too hard to sing and play because they were both being learned at the same time. What was your biggest challenge doing BVs or any kind of vocals over the drum parts? Where just, did it happen?
0: Just the general coordination uh, co- uh, coordination yeah. Right. Yeah,
1: as in. With, like, the mouth and the limbs. Yeah. And or especially,
0: whatever. so, for example, I went and saw Anderson Pack
1: Right. At Come on. Ali Pally, right? Yeah.
0: And some of the fills that he was doing over rapping, I was like, everyone was like, yeah, Anderson Pack," And I was at the back with my mouth open going, how the fuck <laughs> is he doing that? It's ridiculous. Like, these linear... Drum chops, yeah, and then rapping at the same time in completely different rhythms, and then halfway through the song, he'd get up and run over to the other side of the stage and start singing, and I was like, this guy's a genius, yeah, but for me it's the it's the coordination because if it depends whereabouts in the song it is, but if the drums are doing something quite specific and quite difficult, and then you've got to sing a different counter rhythm over oh, yeah. the top, that's tricky, but it's helped my coordination, and like I say. I have a new appreciation for, especially like Nick, for example. Yeah. So Nick is our, our best friend. Yeah, and very. He's the singer and guitarist in our trio. And seeing what he can do on guitar and sing over the top, when I started doing it, I was like, oh, oh. this shit's hard. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you know, him sort of like doing uh, harmonies yeah. between his solos on the guitar yeah. and, his, and his vocals. It's so impressive. And... For me, I just used to watch him and I was like, oh, okay, he's doing that. Yeah. And I would slow down the drum part and see where the vocals sat on top of yeah, the drums. And I was it. like, oh, okay. And now, to be honest, I'm not being arrogant, it's just the truth. I just, the drums, I don't really think about them. I just, I just can concentrate on the singing and I don't really struggle anymore with the coordinate, uh, coordination of it.
1: That was going to be my next question because when I've done it, I one has to go on autopilot I can't yeah, hold no. two things at the same totally. time so either the bass goes on autopilot or the vocals are going on autopilot because I cannot have moments where I'm like hang on what? what's the note and what's the, 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 yeah. the
0: vocal note so mate do you know sorry to interrupt yeah, no, go, go do on. you know what's really uh, helped me Revelry. is teaching oh teaching yeah ah. because ah. I have to play and, and talk, talk
1: over the top yes and like some of oh that's so true I've always
0: found with teaching some of the drum grooves and rhythms that I have to teach I can play yeah when I've got to slow them down really slow yes. and then go like one a yeah. and like, you know, <laughs> two like yeah one a yana two yeah like all that sort of stuff over the top yeah and then talk to them so right and then introduce, like, we're going to start off with the kick and then we're going to add yeah. in the snare part and then the, the hi-hat step with the left foot and then we're going to do these orchestrations <laughs> and then I'm talking over top. That, for me, when I first started, was such a struggle. That's and so then when cool. I started doing it, I was like, oh, actually, okay, I'm getting some practice in this. And yeah. then when I started singing over the top of drums, I was like, oh, I've, I've already kind of done this. Yeah. So it all got, you know, it's all just, it's been loads and loads of practice, basically. I didn't just like start singing. I was like, oh, I can do this. Yeah. It was really hard to start with. And also, like,
1: it wasn't good. When you no. start, and, this is the thing, and it's okay to not be good at something Thanks, in mate. the early... Yeah, I can, <laughs> I, I can confirm it was shit. No, but like, it's no, no, okay not to not be good at things when you've never done them before. Like, this is the biggest thing I struggle with with teaching, is this battle against perfection. I'm like, so, how do you think that went? Terrible. Okay, how many times have you done it? Never, it was the first time. What were you expecting? Were you expecting to walk in and be the greatest version of that song you've ever heard? Yeah. But what's really sad is, John, I think they are thinking it's going to be the great. I think they are putting that pressure on themselves. thinking, yeah. I'm going to be Jeff Beccaro when I play this. Well, we, this, when we did that what?
0: yesterday, Jeff Beccaro, arguably one of the greatest drummers and probably the most recorded drummer of all time. Yeah. You know, just ridiculous. And a lot of our students are like 18. Yeah. And they sounded amazing. Yeah and you know 100%. yes they didn't sound like jeff Beccaro, but uh, honestly probably no one ever will yeah. and the pressure they put on themselves to learn this and i was like look you've learned this song so well yeah. and you've clearly prepped it it's now just keep practicing because jeff Beccaro is amazing and you're 18 years old give yourself totally. a break
1: i know it is it's is definitely there there's a bit of an epidemic on this of young people of this pressure to to deliver perfection and i can say right now that john and i are both committed to going against that and Mm. all of our teaching practice is like look we're here to help and we want you to know you can make mistakes in fact the first thing i say on open days when we advertise the course is right number one you have to come here and fail that's what this is about making mistakes failing big failing with us because This is the place to do it. You don't want to go out on your gigs and start falling on your face because you may not get other gigs after that. But when you're here, when you're learning, you should be making all those mistakes. And one of the things I say to students when we we talk about this is I say, I want you to try this exercise. I want you to take one of your hands and I want you to write student on the palm of your hand. And when you start to feel stressed that you're not perfect and you're not doing what you think you should be doing, I want you to look at your hand and remind yourself why you're here. It doesn't say professional musician showing off. It says student, which means inherently you are not going to do things well all the time. And it's that kind of pressure that going into learning, like it stops you from learning. And this is why we get that blockage where they're like, I just couldn't do it. It's like, but what did you do? Mm. Oh, I just, it was too hard. But what does that mean? Like, when did you get to the point and go, I can't do this? Okay, it was then. Fine. Key question, what did you do next? Yeah. Because I've had so many times where I've been given a song. I'm like, I can't play that. Yeah. Yet. Or I, I can't hear it. Like, it's buried in the mix. Like, what the hell is the bass doing? So I go on YouTube. I watch all those people. Thank you so much to the people out there who spend their days transcribing and playing songs so the rest of us can copy your stuff really appreciate it like but there are people out there who do it right yeah so you go off and you 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 resource yourself you go in and go right is there any charts okay no no charts i can't read fine no charts can i get another recording can i get someone who's playing over the top of the track so i can watch what they're doing there are so many ways to get from a to b which is learning the song and i think it's that feeling of but I can't do it. So therefore there's no point in trying. Yeah. It's like creative subjects are not going to work for you if that is how you approach it. And it's such a shame that they're put into that position.
0: Mate, we did, um, with my drummers today, we we were talking about finding your own voice. Lovely. So we basically were trying to kind of look at what makes us us, yeah. right? what we do that makes us different from everyone else. And that could be, groove, sound, ideas, you know, being unique. And I got them to learn this song. And then they played it at the end. And I gave them sort of 45 minutes to chart out their bits and kind of think about what they were going to do. And they played and they sounded amazing. And at the end, I was like, what did you like about your performance? And it's just silence. And I was like, guys, there were so many good bits in there. And I just, I feel like some of the, the students at the moment, I think there's just a lot of pressure, right? And they did. I think it's just trying to get them out of their shells a little bit. And when they were learning the songs, I was like, look, you've done the hard bit. You you know the structure. It's just about deciding what your parts are now. And once I think the kind of pressure's taken off, I got them to play it again. And the second time, it was great. I was like, look, this is the second time. I've just given you a song. It was quite tricky. It's the second time you've played it, yeah. and now you're starting to get some ideas, right? You've, you've done the hard bit. You've learned the song. Yeah. Now we're just going to put some parts down to it. And I think like, you know, going back to sort of learning songs, it's, the hard bit, I think, is understanding what the song is. Yes. That's kind of, you know, once they've done the structure and they, they've almost got like a visual map, then they've got great
1: ideas. It's just about yeah. putting them onto paper then. That's all it is. That's such a good point. It reminds me of an interview I read recently. Again, classic Ben Jones. Cannot not remember who it is. But it was an actor. And they were talking about working with a very famous director. Again, can't remember the name, but someone heavy like Scorsese or something like that. And they were saying that they were given the opportunity, after they got the take, one for them. So they did the scene. Mm. And the director was really clear with them. Right, I want you to do this. Blah, 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 blah. So they did it and then afterwards they said to them right let's do another one this one's for you just do what you would do and they did it and the director more often than not took their take than the one that they did under their direction interesting because the freedom and the lack of pressure brought out new ways of approaching the scene and i got me thinking i was like there's something in that one for you like What if there wasn't any pressure? What would you play if you were the most comfortable thing? What if you were, what if I wasn't here? What would you play? Yeah. And breaking them out of that thing is really tough. But there's definitely something in that. And I think that what's really interesting is obviously we're going to have some students on later episodes. Maybe we will explore this with them as well and get their thoughts because you know we're both in our 30s and maybe we definitely don't have the the same mindset as a 20 year old and maybe there are things going on that we don't understand and we can we can understand more but I mean what a fascinating conversation again no planning on this one we literally said let's talk about learning songs and I've learned so much about your practice which I thoroughly enjoyed what's your biggest takeaway from today well I think kind of just to summarize
0: really is if you're if you're listening to this and you, you know you struggle learning songs or maybe you're an absolute ninja and this is just kind of a different <laughs> approach yeah, totally. i think just take your time and whether it's you just listen to the song and repeat fine but i think try and pick out you know more detail that maybe than you usually would so let's say you just learn the drum part maybe from this you might take away that maybe it might be quite good to listen to the guitar part or what the bass is doing and start listening to Maybe more of the full picture of the song rather than just your instrument specific part. And I think if everyone learns in different ways and whether that's slowing the song down, there's loads of apps now that you can do. Yeah, there's loads of stuff on YouTube where you can go and, you know, obviously we're doing the behind the beat stuff where you can go and look at these individual parts. And I think as well, when you're learning songs, just remember why you're doing it. You're doing it because you probably want to play those songs, right? Because you'd enjoy to play them. (laughs) So I think don't put so much pressure on yourself. And if you're learning it for a professional situation or just, you know, playing in a, a, a pub band or whatever you're doing. Yeah. I think just remember why you're doing it. And the more you know about that song, the more you're going to enjoy playing it live and the more you're going to understand it and the more
1: you'll be able to relate to the people on stage with you. Someone get this kid a her to drop. <laughs> no, mate, 100%. I just echo all of that. That's, that's really, really lovely. I think that's brilliant. And uh, it, do, everyone listening, if you struggle with it, do those things that John just said because they will help. And let us know. We'd love to know how you get on with this stuff. Mate, it was, it was really interesting, like... From a drummer's point of view, listening
0: to how you would approach it as a bass player, because you know predominantly, uh, I I, know maybe I'm speaking for myself, but I think there's a lot of drummers out there that maybe theory is not their strongest, potentially, yeah, you know, skill set. So it's interesting to see how you know a bass player or a guitarist or a keys player would approach learning the song, and it's there's a lot of similarities, but also. You know, quite a few differences as well. You know where your start point is and what you look for during
1: the song. So it was really interesting to see how you approach it. Definitely, I I really really enjoyed that. I think my final thought on this whole thing is basically, be prepared for it to take time. Yeah, that's all it is. Like you know, good things come with work and with effort. So take the pressure off yourself. Let yourself make the mistakes, but learn from the mistakes. Ask yourself, what are you struggling with? name it, write it down, ask someone about it, resource yourself, internet, all these things, so many things and um, if you've enjoyed this we can definitely do more on this stuff I mean we've got so many years of experience doing this, teaching and learning songs, we'd love to talk more about it with you so please leave a, you know any comments in there that you think and we will very much look forward to seeing you next time, lovely stuff <laughs> alright guys, take care, take care, bye, bye. You've been listening to Beats and Best Friends, a behind-the-beat production. It was recorded at ICMP Queen's Park. The intro music
0: features John Harris on drums, Ben Jones on bass, Adam Goldsmith on guitar, and Nick Vary on keyboards.
1: Thanks for stopping by, and we'll see you on the next session.